FIS Castaway, the podcast keeping you in the know about the shipping and commodity world. To keep up to date, sign up to our FIS Live app at www.fis-live.com or follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn. Hello, welcome back to Castaway, uh, FIS's freight and commodity podcast. It is a sunny morning in London on Wednesday, the 23rd of June. And this week we're joined by Theo, of course, and also our special guest, Dave Powers, the head of Coke and Coal here in London for FIS. Uh, but let's first go through the news and then into our market settlements and some a bit more in-depth news on our main markets before going into that Coke and Coal focus. So what have we seen this week? Well, Joe Biden and Vladimir Putin met in Geneva for a four-hour summit. China published a law allowing retaliation against other countries for imposing sanctions on the country. A referendum in Switzerland rejected plans to impose taxes on airline tickets and car fuel to tackle climate change. California and New York lifted all their remaining COVID restrictions. The US Federal Reserve held rates, but suggested rates could rise twice in 2023. With inflation at 8%, Brazil's central bank raised interest rates for the third time this year. Uh, The UK struck a trade deal with Australia, the first such deal from scratch since Brexit. And Emirates Airline reported an annual loss of $5.5 billion for the last financial year. But what about the settlements? What have we seen? This is uh, Tuesday the 15th versus Tuesday the 22nd, week on week. Uh, For the oil and products, Brent, a modest rise of 1.4%, closing 74.72 basis uh, FIS closed uh, from 73.70 last week. Uh, on the high sulfur fuel oils, 397.65 closing on the Rotterdam 3.5%, that's up a 1%. Uh, Sing 380 up 0.8%, uh, closing 410.40. Uh, the 0.5%, so that's the very low sulfur fuel oil. 510.07 on the Rock 0.5, 1.2, and the Sing 0.5, 529.32 up 1.13%, both now comfortably over that 500 mark. And for the high fives, that's the very low sulfur fuel oil versus the high sulfur fuel oil, the scrubber spread. Uh, Rock High 5, 110 to 112, up 1.8%, and the Sing High 5, 116 to 119 yesterday, up 2.6%. But Theo, what have we seen on the iron ore indexes? Um, on the iron ore uh, markets, uh, week on week, the plug 62%. Uh, yesterday was $212.70, so down $9.65, which is a 4.34% drop. The fast market 65% was $249.20, down $1.60, which is a 0.64% week on week drop. And the uh, 65 versus plug 62 spread uh, yesterday was. $36.50, which is up $8.05, which is up a 28.3% week-on-week rise. Cool, big move on that, 65 62%. And the freight, we don't have Kerry with us, but in terms of freight indexes, week-on-week uh, week looks like a modest move. Uh, 30,640 was the Cape 5TC index yesterday, closing 31,376, up 2.4%. And the Panamax 4TC, 29,328, and yesterday closing uh, 30 889 up 5.3%. And to close off the indexes with the tankers, TC2 up 1.5%, 112.22 closing, TC5 down a percent, 88.21. And the VLs, TD3C, uh, 4%, uh, that's closing 32.32. And TB25, 70.21 closing, minus 1%. But a bit more in depth in terms of our markets, excluding freight this week, before we focus on coke and coal. Oil on products, we have seen a kind of modest rise 
uh, overall since the last podcast. We did see a midweek rise last week, followed by a bit of a sell-off into the weekend, but we have recovered again into to this week. We saw yesterday slight pressure on uh, the Brent benchmark, settling slightly lower uh, than the previous close as talks ramped up about the potential outcome of the next OPEC Plus meeting in July with an outline of the next output quotas that could come into effect from August. And that will be, I guess, you know, loosening of these restrictions that we've had for such a, a long time. That said, the API have released their predictions for today's figures uh, last night, and they showed a, well, predict a draw of 7 million in crude um, with less than 1 million builds on products of gasoline and distillates. So again, a similar trend to what we've seen over several weeks now uh, with a large draw in crude and Sometimes we're having a significant build on those products, but this week they're thinking it's going to be a lot smaller. Uh, and that would be a fifth consecutive drawdown on that crude if it did come in today, later this afternoon with those figures. We saw last week that we had that prediction and it's, it's a very similar pattern. Uh, this was the EIA figures from last week was minus 7.4 million barrels, uh, plus 2 million on the gasoline and minus 1 million on the distance. So a very high refinery utilization rate of 92.6% as well. So it does seem to have a, you know, a very similar template that this is just going on at the same kind of rate. Uh, strong refinery runs are underpinning the draw in US gasoline inventories. Uh, well, it has led to the, the rise in those, in those inventories to 1.95 million barrels uh, to a total of 242.98 million barrels in the week. And that would be above the five-year average for the first time since mid-February. So definitely something to look at later this afternoon with the uh, the EIA publishing those figures again of whether this is a trend which is continuing even further for the fifth week. Uh, again, World Powers resumed another round of nuclear deal negotiations with Iran. I know we discussed previously about potential for a lot of Iranian crude to come back onto the market. Um, but this was, I guess, just disrupted with what's been happening in Iran with the presidential elections and they have elected a hardliner judiciary chief as one the uh, the previous judiciary chief has won the election so it could potentially uh, reverse what has been some positive progress uh, on that front uh, in the last few weeks with with the US uh, negotiations uh, with those pushes, we have seen, you know, we, we talked previously about the breakthrough of the 70 level. Now we're comfortably in that mid-range of the 70s. We have seen major banks revise their forecasts of oil going forward into the second half of the year. Morgan Stanley have revised their forecast for Brent from 67.50 to 77.50. And with Bank of America analysts suggesting that we could see $100 per barrel in 2022, with Brent averaging $68 across this year. Again, those $100 stories are, are dogging the market. Well, I'm, not, I'm less convinced on, on whether that was going to be something that's going to happen. But uh, again, people have thrown those stories into the mix. And if you look at those indexes, again, we had a couple of weeks where those high fives were taking a bit of a break. But again, we're starting to move forward in the slow plods upwards. Again, 112 on the high five for the Rotterdam and 119 uh, for the Sing high five. So again, those people who have installed scrubbers are seeing a significant uh, I guess, premium for their, their rival vessels and high sulfur fuel oils and probably are now recouping a lot of those uh, initial outlay they've had on, on the scrubbers themselves. So good for those people, bad for the people who are using the, the main high sulfur fuel oil. But Theo, moving on to 
iron ore. What have we seen more in depth in that market this week? Um, in iron ore this week, there's never a dull moment, I guess. We, uh, the indexes were down a uh, lot from the week before. Uh, I'm seeing the spread, though, which we look at uh, regularly on this segment. Uh, the spread is actually going up, and this week it's at $36.50. It seems as though the uh, high-grade 65% is holding up. Uh, mill margins, though, have been decreasing since uh, iron ore prices have started to rise at, the, at these levels faster than the steel prices are. Uh, market sources, I've been told, have said that the, cur- the current curves of last furnace operation- operations in- might be relaxed in Tanchang in July, but there's been no official statements yet. Um, also, we saw China's monthly iron ore imports drop further in May and with lower volume from uh, the uh, majors from Australia and Brazil. As the imports from Australia and Brazil dropped 4.7 million tonnes and 1.8 million tonnes on the month to 57.8 million tonnes and 15 million tonnes respectively in May. The port stocks, though, of main, mainstream iron ore finds still remain tight. Um, today, also, Australia released their trade figures and Australia's merchandise trade surplus was recorded at $13.3 billion in May. Um, although that relationship between Australia and China may be rapidly declining, demand from uh, China for iron ore continues unabated. The iron ore exports to China rose 20% to 12.7 billion. That's the third consecutive record monthly high. It seems that uh, China intervening, as we've been discussing recently in these podcasts, and making statements to the market seems to be having, again, the opposite effect. It's only been a couple of days since China renewed its push to drive down the cost of iron ore, but it, that plan seems to be failing once again. The Chinese authorities came out swinging on Monday and they said that they will launch a new investigation to iron ore prices. And as that news broke, uh, the market appeared to be, have been spooked and iron ore on Monday took a big tumble. Uh, but then iron ore yesterday rose 7.2% uh, on the dahlia. So it seems like that although sign of the market, it may not be taking these threats too seriously um, since even today, July, is trading close to $109, uh, $209, sorry. So it seems the case that, as we've seen already said a few times, that reducing these activities that China, these Chinese authorities want in the future market may knock out these speculative activities, but it appears to influence the, the future trajectory of prices the derivatives actually, as we all know, is used by real customers like steel companies and they to provide price certainty and to protect themselves against future prices. So this, this strategy might affect near-term prices, but it's all, it just, just also increases the volatility uncertainty and exacerbates the price spikes in the future. I was looking today at the historical uh, volatility data for the SGX um, US dollar-denominated iron ore contract. And the, I, I break it into three, three uh, periods, the 10-day, which I call the fast, the 30-day, which I call the medium, and the 50-day, which I call the slow. Traders usually in commodities would look at between, something between the 30 and the 50 as a gauge to when pricing options. And the 30-day volatility at the moment is at 63%. Um, and it was, it's increased from about 55% last week. The 50-day, interestingly, about the start of the month is about 50%, now it's about 53%. It's actually quite steady. So instead of volatility, it's pretty high, 50%. So, and also, if you look at the fast vol, which is the 10-day vol, in mid-May, that volatility is about 79%, which is the highest 10-day vol since the start of 2019. 
So this iron ore market is just getting extremely volatile and the movements, the streams are just phenomenal. Uh, finally, uh, the global crude steel production figures came out and they global steel production rose 16.5% from a year ago to 174.4 million tonnes in May 2021. And China churned out 99.5 million tonnes of crude steel for the month, which is up 6.6% year on year. So China is now heading for that magical 1 billion tonnes, 1 billion tonnes for 2021. And then you're talking about the fact that, you know, these restrictions could be relaxed later in the year. And we always watch these mill margins and with those lower iron ore imports. So we have a setting up a situation where we could see those restrictions relaxed, iron ore prices rocket because the imports have not been so high and therefore those margins at mills really start to come under significant pressure. They, they may do actually because they, the, there's no doubt that the higher grade demand is where the demand is, not the lower grade. Low grade premiums aren't that high. So I would I'd imagine that, yes. Because it would be a significant time period in terms of tonnage miles, you know, the, the journey from the, the higher grades from Brazil to kind of correct that. So you could see a a significant period where that front end of the curve is really, really squeezed. Yeah, yeah, the, there is there is definitely still, and it goes both ways, there's definitely upside uh, and there's downside room for this. But uh, currently it just seems that when it does move down, it just gets pulled back straight up again. But let's move on to the main feature of this week's podcast, of course. Uh, coking coal we have here, Dave. Nice to have you. Hi, Chris. Hi, Theo. Hi, man. So, Coke and Coal, you know, you have been broking this for FIS, uh, the head of Coke and Coal in London office. Um, why don't we start with the real basics then? So what is Coke and Coal and what is it used for? Uh, well, it's, it's, I mean, you know, there are sort of two main types of coal in the world. You've got thermal coal and you have sort of metallurgical or Coke and Coal. And thermal coal is used for power generation and the Coke and Coal is used for uh, steel production. That's, that's to keep it very, very basic and simple. Um, Coke and coal is actually used to produce coke in a coke oven, and then that is then um, uh, put in this, the the blast furnace with with iron ore and some limestone, and that produces you know, the pig iron and the and uh, and eventually the, the the steel products that that we uh, we see today. And in terms of movements or of products, is something which Johnny B's obsessed with is where what produces what and where it goes to. In terms of those trade flues flows where's it where it's produced and where where it needs it uh it's it is the, the biggest producer and exporter is is australia and uh, and they have uh you know they they sort of cover all the grades um like like any sort of uh physical products products there are different there are different specs and then the the us canada is a big producer and exporter uh, and and it's a little bit more Diversified in terms of in terms of demand, uh, there's there's global demand because of course there's global steel production. So the biggest, you know, the, the largest demand from import perspective uh, that comes from Japan, India, China. China isn't the number one in in this instance, but they are a, are a huge player, of course. And China has its own production. Uh, and then um, other producers include Russia, uh, some small amounts from Indonesia, and um, and and South America. But yeah, and then of course the demand in Europe because we have our own steel production here as well. Yeah. So it is very, it's, it's, there's a lot of trade flows. And it's slightly different from the iron ore because of that domestic production in China. It's... Yeah, when you see iron ore is, 
you know, 90% of the seaborne flow is more than 90% is destined for China. Whereas uh, you, you would probably, you could break that down with, with, with cone coal, you've got about 300 million tons, a little bit less of uh, seaborne physical trade. And China's probably importing, well, it's sort of peaked around probably about 80 million tons, uh, various grades, and it's probably, it's dipped a little bit of late. Um, we'll get onto that shortly. And so, yeah, you, you can see there, there's, there's, it's nowhere near as, as dominant. And in terms of the last year of trading, we've been looking at a lot of products. We've had specific ones, but in the last year, I don't know if you give us kind of flavor of what's kind of been happening in the market in terms of price movements. Well, I mean, we, it's in terms of, in terms of uh, price movement and the product has been, it's been extremely volatile, like, you know, like, like coal has, but extremely volatile in, over the last few years. I mean, we've, we've had, we've had a high, we've high of uh, about $300 index. And we've had a low, I think we sort of just, just breached a hundred dollars. Uh, we were sort of sub that back in the 2016 days, but since then it's sort of, we've had a range of, yes, yeah, so that's a $200 range. Um, and, but, you know, in the last year, it's prices on the whole have been pretty depressed because there's been a coal has fallen into the import restrictions, you might call it, um, uh, of imports from Australia to China. And coal has fallen under that under that sort of under that uh, umbrella, um, but you know, of, but lately due to this pickup in steel, steel price of movement, there's been a lag effect, but uh, demand has slowly been chipping away at that Australian supply, and over the last sort of four to six weeks, it's really started to bite, and uh, Coneyville's a bit late to the party, but we've seen we've seen you know price increases of uh, of over fifty percent on the index in the last in the last month. Yeah, because we've seen some incredible utilization levels of uh, Theo. You were talking about it in terms of steel production, where those those mills have really been shoving it out the door lately. Absolutely, yeah. So the fees in May, so uh, coal coal is an import, so therefore, yeah, definitely. Is there? Do you see a large correlation between the uh, Chinese markets, the Dalian and coal prices, and the U.S. nominated ones? Because I saw today that the Coal futures price in the Dalian rose 5.4 percent, which is quite a high. And um, what, was, what was behind that? I mean, the the domestic price of coal coal has been uh, has been on a on a you know, a, you know on a big move up all year. And this is because you know, China has, has switched has diversified some of its imports. The reason it's 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 actual imports are still strong, but it's 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 imported a lot more from Mongolia, which of course is by by truck. Um, than it has from from Australia, and that bit into the market last year and depressed prices from Australia because our futures prices are FOB Australia because that is the dominant production hub and many destination uh, 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 destinations uh, which can influence in, influence that price. But what ha what's happened this year with a with a ban from imports is it's actually really tightened up the supply in China itself. Plus, you've had a lot of uh, environmental restrictions in China, which prevents, you know, the the coke ovens, which are independent to the steel mills, from running at maximum capacity. So this is just keep ratcheting it up, ratcheting up the price. China has turned to other sources, mainly the U.S. and Canada, as well as Russia. Well, that's been more of a steady flow, and hence you've seen huge surges in the in both the domestic price, the CFR price to China, but not the Australia FB price until now. So correlations last year, up to about October, certainly with the uh, 
you know, were you know well above sort of well above ninety percent, above ninety, and, and the CFR price and the FOB price were sort of close to 97, 98% correlated. And then from about from about November through to about February this year, that correlation went inverted. We actually saw, you know, we saw as you know, we saw international prices coming off as domestic prices were still going up. And that's the correlation has started to come more in line over the last uh, couple of months. Um, it really has been a case of how quickly can the rest of the world produce more steel and and pick up this oversupply from Australia. And I think that by about April, May time, people were thinking it won't be able to absorb it. And by the beginning of June, <laughs> everyone's suddenly realizing, oh no, you know, they can't. So, yeah. Yeah, and uh, and yeah, these and and now I mean we've, we're moving up today as, as as we speak on the spot price. Yeah, um, we touched on the we're talking about the China Aussie dispute. Um, maybe Theo, you have something with a bit more skin in the game in terms of emotion behind the issue, uh, but that is a, a significant, well, very significant part of uh, a problem for for iron ore production. Uh, iron ore imports into, uh, for steel production into China, but in terms of the coking coal, it's less less of an issue. But do you think that that could have more of a problem going forward, or is this going to is it an isolated issue which will resolve itself uh, in the coming months, the rest of the year, or do you, do you see this as having a significant impact on on the coking coal as you discussed earlier, or? I think I think now actually if we saw if we did see those restrictions lifted, which I don't think we are going to anytime soon, um, you'd probably see domestic price in China come off a bit. Uh, it would certainly it might bring some more offers in from from US America, but cone coal prices would would from our, our you know the, what we trade the FOB futures contract would certainly you would expect it to surge through two hundred dollars. I mean the spot now is already. It, Touching 180, you know, July's trade 180 today on the futures, um, but and you know, and then the back would also probably push up as well because we're, we're heavily backwardated at the moment. Um, but I think that it's a question now: is do we believe the steel story? You know, we see steel futures trading. You know, steel futures for European futures. You know, um, they're over, you know they've hit a thousand euros plus. Further on the curve, they're a bit lower, but that is enough to make um, iron ore, these high iron ore prices and high coal prices work still because the margins are there. The question is, is can can that increase in production happen to take advantage of that? Or will that depress prices? So it's kind of a, a you know a fine balance there as to where that goes. But certainly, if China did lift restrictions, our, the the the, the Met coal side would just would just keep keep on going up. Yeah, it would just surge because it becomes a you know. It, 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 the delivered price into China now is is around three hundred dollars equivalent. So you see that, you know, if you add it on freight to Australia, you you sort of only just touching two hundred dollars delivered. So that 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 puts that into perspective of how much upside we've got. Yeah, and Theo, with that potential price increase, do you think that's going to be again our, our story that we were talking about earlier about those steel mill margins have? Is that the the, the straw that breaks the back of the uh, the steel production camel? Well. I'm not too sure. I, I still feel as though that, I mean, it seems China will be looking short um, coke and coal, and also the support stocks are low. So 
But the, if the demand continues the way it has been, and the production levels do have, have been moving, and I, can't, and I actually agree with Dave, I think we could hit 200 bucks for sure. And uh, the Dalian uh, cooking coal price is rising. I mean, they've also had recent mine, uh, mine disasters there in China as well, and that's uh, causing concern. So I think there's actually a shortage there. And then looking to the future, uh, as we, the future of the futures, um, you know, prospects for this Coca-Cola market, we discussed in terms of China-Aussie dispute, the problems that that could happen, uh, the relationship with what's happening domestically in China with their prices and others, and of course, the margins and the impact that will have. But is there any kind of sense you're seeing from the markets at the moment what we could potentially see if trends continue or with something else making an impact on those markets going forward? Yes, I think I think now we've we, you know, we've we've had a very liquid um, we've had a very liquid iron ore market in the future side uh, going forward, and you know coconut has been around for a long time. It's probably been even though the there have been indices uh, which have traded on futures for ten years. It's been only in the last uh, four to five years where where liquidity started to pick up. Uh, last year was the biggest year we'd we we'd had with. Uh, just over 15 million tons cleared. Um, and now we're seeing a more liquid steel futures market as well. We're actually getting the, the three components that we need for that kind of steel mill complex. Um, we're seeing we're seeing hedging from everywhere now as well. Initially, you know, you'd see more hedging from the buy side, maybe via banks from end users in Europe. Now we're seeing that interest in Asia as well, uh, both in the, you know, whether it's the Far East, if it's... Uh, uh, China, Japan, Korea, um, India, and then from the sell side perspective, we're also seeing production hedging as well. So this interest is there, that growth potential is there. You know, I would say from a, um, you know, we've seen certain financial institutions, you know, non-banks as well, interested in the market. Some of that has been hedging related. And of course, trading houses are very keen. So there's, you know, the market will has that potential still to grow because unlike thermal coal, um, you know, the, you know, demand, the forecast for steel growth means that demand for coking coal is going to probably still increase globally over the next five to 10 years. And because the, whilst the scrap market will increase as well in terms of steel production, the speed of which this transition can happen is going to take some time, especially, especially in, uh, in Asia. So yeah, it's um, it's it's a market that's there. It trades every day. Um, you know, it's it's anything. It's about we always say approximately a million tons a month, but it can you know, we can have days where you know several hundred thousand tons trade in one day, and you know there there is plenty of interest. And certainly, the, you know, whatever period you want to trade at some point, you know, there will there will there always is a price. It's just a question of it's just a question of liquidity. And we have the new rebar contract coming out for Shanghai, which launched was a couple of weeks ago or so now. So yeah. it's definitely becoming part of a, a larger steel complex of multiple contracts, which people can use to, to hedge holistically through through the entire market. Yeah, and I think that I think now as well that um, you know, as as markets become more liquid, they're influenced more by external factors, macro factors, political factors. Uh, these markets now, the steel, the steel markets we have, uh, the cocoa market we have, it is they are still very much like fundamental 
the dominant force is fundamentals. So it's the physical market, what's happening, what's happening there in, in whether it's, you know, the, whether it's a supply tightness or demand picked up the physical market. So I think some people might look at what's happened on iron ore this year and think that this is, this is, you know, this is, this is their market to go to for the China trade. But if they want a more global steel play, then, uh, then, you know, Kunkel's got that liquidity now to go to, and then the steel markets as well will add to that and allow people to, you know, sort of hedge their, whether they want to hedge, hedge production, their consumption. Um, yeah, it, it, it's, uh, there's more tools now available. Yeah. But you've got that whole market of, of new, new contracts coming in and the, I guess the big geopolitical question of where we move from here, everything at which would, you know, have different impacts on which contract you're looking at, be it on the steel contracts and which country, you know, area you're using, be that European, US as well, which uh, we all trade here at FIS. Uh, or you're looking at the coking coal, for example, and whether you're looking at actual versus international prices. So a real interesting mix. Yeah, and, and there is a uh, CFR contract as well, which um, whilst um, you know club prices were were in a bit of a lull earlier this year, and uh, the US market was buoyant, CFR prices were high. We did see some interest come into the CFR market. I think that um, so there is always potential to to that that price to see if like the market alongside the FOB market as well, either with some sort of implied freight trade or, or a US versus Australia play, um, that is also available. Cool. Well, thank you, Dave. Any other further questions from you, Theo? I was, I was just wondering, are you seeing uh, more inquiries uh, from players or parties out of like countries like South Korea and Taiwan? So when I was reading this morning about the uh, trade fees from Australia, the um, Coke numbers were quite high. Like they jumped 10% month on month to $342 million in exports. And they were particularly driven by South Korea, which has increased by 28%, and Taiwan by 35% month on month. I, I, I think at the moment, whilst we don't have, the, we, you know, we're not seeing, um, you know, we see some parts, we, see, we do see interest from everywhere. But what we have seen, of course, is, a, is, is an increase in uh in futures interest from a lot of the trading houses asia-based trading houses um so when that flow comes into the market it 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 feeds into the into the brokered market um we've had you know steady interest from um from uh, japan and korea for some time uh, but what we have seen is with that trade volume increase we've seen that interest come more from yeah you know, like these these trading houses that are sort of you know that will, will feed into any market Oh, if there are any people listening who are in Taiwan or in South Korea, then you know the man to contact if you'd yeah, like and, to. And yeah, if you're uh, if I mean if you're currently um, yeah if, if you know as a consumer now uh, we're seeing prices. I think we're going to hit a one uh, hundred and eighty index today, maybe uh, maybe in the next few days, if not today. Um, you know, right now we've we've seen a big surge in Q three, um, but Q four is still trading sub one hundred and sixty, about one hundred and fifty five dollars. And Cal 22 uh, will be sort of pretty flat to that as well at the moment. Um, that's uh, that's a good price relative to the spot. Um, likewise, though, if you're a producer, that's that's a good price relative to where we were a year ago, or where we were a few months ago, even. Yeah, and you could have a situation where those restrictions lifted on Australia, and oh, I wish I'd hedged that in. Oh, yeah. The classic situation. Yeah.
But cool, yeah. If there are any other people who want to find out more about the Coca-Cola futures market, then of course, contact Dave. Uh, But thank you, Theo, for joining me this week again. And to all listening, do join us again next week. 